You're listening to Lost and Rewound on Radio Free Brooklyn, and it's time to get embarrassed. Oh, God. Oh, God. I made a big mistake coming here. Jimmy, the one, they, the one they called Jimmy. Jimmy, a.k.a. Not Alon. I am Alon, a.k.a. Not Jimmy. <laughs> so, Not Jimmy and Not Alon, welcome uh, you to this rabble-rousing hour of who knows what. Because you never know what you're going to get when you have a show about tapes. And it's about tapes, but that said, the tapes are only the launch pad. This was a podcast. It became a broadcast. We still strive to connect the dots between the youth and our adulthood. And a lot of the times it's uh, coming about that it's not going to be just tapes, but it will be video, it will be digital recordings, what have you. Hey, man, you know, in the future, it could be holographic sequencing imaging. You never know. That taps directly into your brain chemistry. Precisely. And, you know, it's going to be, it's going to happen. And then we're going to be like, they're going to be like, Grandpa, how come you can't work the hologram? And I'll be like, well, in my day, we listen to analog tapes. Mm -hmm. They're going to be like, what are you talking about? Well, if you don't have holograms, but you certainly do have those analog tapes of yesteryears, do not hesitate and reach out to us. We want to hear from you, lostandrewound at gmail.com. Exactly. Well, the internet still exists. And the internet does help for the greater good, especially when it comes to donations. So if you feel like you got some extra cash in your packet. Yeah, um... This station doesn't really advertise. <laughs> we just try to get donations from viewers like you. Listeners like you. Listeners like but you. They no, do you're, view you're viewing. You're you viewing, are viewing you know, just like in the days of yore. You look directly at the radio. Maybe you're looking at the volume and the, and the levels. You're Maybe you're seeing like a line. Phone, you're looking at the computer screen. <laughs> you're looking at something, viewer. Radiofreebrooklyn.com slash pledge for any and all contributions. And if you want to donate to our show directly or be a sponsor, to our show, rather. That address is... Uh, RadioFreeBrooklyn.com slash LAR. Yes, sir. This is our New Year's episode. Before we begin, I did want to make one quick point. Uh, I totally didn't see Jimmy give me a gift, but he totally gave me a gift. And I'm, I'm... I'm very slick when it comes to Christmas. Yeah, yeah. And Hanukkah. Fast and, and slick. And all these things. Exactly. <laughs> Fast and slick is what I have always been. He 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 just thought it was like a it was in here already I guess and then he, I, I actually I totally did he just Perfect. like tossed it over the side and I felt like I was like I wow thought, this I thought, guy I thought just that care. I thought that the station manager Tom had put it on there as another weight for the mixer so, <laughs> nice. and it came from Jimmy and and to further that point I feel like a shithead because I didn't bring a gift all I nah. gave you was my holiday card with all of my animals it was a nice holiday card but I I don't. I don't give gifts to get gifts. Um, mm. You know, for me, I'd rather have someone just just the joy, just the joy that I get. You know, seeing right. people seeing people enjoy. It, well, so. let's open it up on the air. On well, the look, air. See, look at the paper though first. The paper is going to be like your favorite type. Well, of paper. yeah, I, I I caught that. The paper is dogs. So <laughs> shout out to any and all dog well, lovers. Dogs and holiday outfits, which even makes yes. It I see a, I see a Datsun. I see a. Uh, <laughs> 
a black lab. I see a, a cocker spaniel. Like French bulldog. Hats. Shall I continue? Shall I continue? <laughs> is French bulldog there's with cat. like yes. with like bling on? There's a, there's like a little <laughs> tiny pomeranian. I think. I I found this I found this at the dollar store yep. and uh, the dollar store treasures man I I maintain the dollar store has treasures the, there's a lot of garbage people go oh it's all garbage I go yeah like ninety percent oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing Razor Ramon action figurine <laughs> Chico say hello <laughs> to the bad guy <laughs> yes. Yes. I I, uh, I appreciate this. Thank you, Jimmy Hoffman. This is quite a special present that I will cherish for years to come. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Um, for this episode, our New Year's episode, we uh, have a lot to get through. So uh, let's um, do a better intro for this <laughs> <laughs> and continue on uh, right after this. Amateur's paradise. That's how we come to know of it. But New Year's Eve is on like a kind of a curve because we grow up with New Year's Eve being more or less a stationary event where we watch TV and watch the ball drop. And then as we get older, we become sex crazed lunatics who just want to get wasted around our friends. And then as we get older, we kind of go back to the old days of just hanging out on our couch and doing nothing. That's basically the life that I have chosen, and maybe it's not the life you have chosen. But there's one thing to be sure of, that New Year's Eve is not a very well-documented event. <laughs> and you know it, Jimmy. You know it. Can true. you think of any New Year's Eve that you have ever wanted documented? Mm, uh, yeah, that's a, hard, that's a hard one right there. Um, I've had, I had one documented. And uh, there's, there was photos of me. Yeah. And it was brutal because I had like a wonderful New Year's Eve and on my face in the photos is very wonderful. Mm-hmm. And I had uh, I, who became an ex-girlfriend with me at the time. Sure. And uh, she became an ex-girlfriend on, July, on January 1st. I suppose her New Year's resolution was to break up with me. <laughs> so, 
like we had a fantastic evening and then there was these fo- there was these photos of us like having a good time and then she broke up with me when we woke up the next morning and that was a rough that was a rough way to start a year I I, uh, yeah absolutely <laughs> what would would you say that was probably your most memorable new year's eve or do you have one that you well, that's have, the thing is, I have no real memory of like the New Year's Eve. I remember, so the, I remember the New Year's Day. Yeah, you remember. So you remember every New Year's Day, really, but you just don't remember the night before. I, you know, what's funny is Elon had asked me and said, "Think back and remember on some New Year's Eves and try to like recount them." Yeah, and and even when I was thinking about them and even walking over, thinking it was hard. It was the same way. Yeah, yeah. they are fleeting memories. I have recollections of my New Year's Eves spent in Woodstock, where I grew up, and I can't really figure out exactly the finite details of what occurred but i do know that when i would go back from college for every winter break i would spend that time with some of my friends that were younger than i but they would invite me out to some house party for new year's and so i do know that that occurred pretty much for the four years in college every winter break there would be some party with these same uh, groups of friends um dan tobias being the leader of the, that charge. And that was great incentive because I didn't really feel like having to ask people what was going on. I would rather just be invited by my good close friends who were around for the that holiday. Did you have any, have you ever had any New Year's where you didn't do anything and you just went to sleep and then the next morning woke up and it was the next day? Well, I did mention, I think, in one earlier episode of our podcast iteration where the babysitter did not let me stay up to watch the ball drop but i was young i was like maybe nine and i remember years before and subsequently years after obviously that i would stay up past midnight but there was that one year where the babysitter was just cold and heartless and yeah come on that's a hot it's a holiday it's a special occasion sure that happens once a year so a lot of this show is not going to be per se us but it's going to be past guests from the year of 2016 nobody gives a fuck about this year this year was dreadful and what better chance to think of other years better years that we spent our new year's eves than of the years past that as i alluded to before were probably not well documented but luckily our guests of past had wonderful stories to tell some short some long but all meaningful to that person so let's take a listen to a few of them I can remember was uh, 1985 to 86. I was seven years old and we lived in California in San Jose. My stepdad's boss lived in San Francisco. So we went into the city and uh, we stayed with, they, they basically left all the kids at my stepdad's boss's house and We had a babysitter, and she was like a teenager, and she was watching MTV, and (laughs) I remember very distinctly the song Higher Love by Steve Winwood came on, and I really wanted to watch that video. I really liked that song, and she changed the channel right in the middle of the song, and that made me very upset. 
Um, <laughs> so that basically ruined my New Year's Eve. Um, I felt like it was very rude of her to just change a song in the middle of a video. Um, and, you know, she thought that she was the boss because she was the babysitter. At that age, I felt like I didn't even really need a babysitter. I do remember, like, I have some weird memory of being at home alone on New Year's Eve and watching MTV and Guns N' Roses playing live when I was, like, maybe eight. And, you know, my mom used to leave me home alone a lot, but I just feel like she wouldn't have left me home alone on New Year's Eve. But who knows? She was doing a lot of drugs back then. Um, (laughs) But, you know... I tried to Google Guns N' Roses playing on New Year's Eve in the 80s on MTV, and I I couldn't really find anything, so maybe that's just something I made up. somewhere or doing a craft fair somewhere, but it was me and my sister at my grandparents' house watching Murder, She Wrote, Star Trek The Next Generation, and then The Ball Drop. Uh, And I'm pretty sure I was the only one awake at midnight. I think I woke my grandparents up around 1 o'clock after I had turned on MTV for a little while. I think I was 8 or 9 at the time. And yeah, that was a really weird New Year's Eve. Hey, Lost and Rewound crowd, Ilan and Jimmy, this is Tony Wolf calling, and I wanted to share some New Year's Eve memories, the very lame and pathetic, and a more uplifting New Year's. Under the lame and pathetic headline, for at least four years in my high school years, probably one college year as well, me and my old friend Jason and another friend of ours named John, would, uh, on New Year's Eve, get some 7-Eleven soda, Slurpees, candy, chips, and go to Jason's basement and watch movies, probably bad movies, and drink Slurpees and eat pretzels. And to try to feel cool, like we were doing something fancy and forbidden, because we were not particularly rebellious teenagers, we would uh, burn the edges of large, thick, uh, long pretzels to feel like we were smoking stogies, even though we were not smoking stogies. If you burn the edge of a pretzel, by the way, it tastes only slightly better or more charred than a regular pretzel. So yes, many years spent in the basement of my friend's place like the characters in Freaks and Geeks, the young geeky kids. And then a slightly more uplifting New Year's I spent with a girlfriend in Minneapolis, Minnesota, 
around 1994, we went and saw a really cute movie with, um, I think it's Matthew Broderick, Meg Ryan, and Walter Matthau as Albert Einstein. I think it's called, is it called Theory of Relativity? I'm trying to remember what that movie's called. But, uh, you know, Meg Ryan and, and Matthew Broderick fall in love. And guess who's Meg Ryan's adorable, eccentric uncle? Albert Einstein. <laughs> so we went to a fancy dinner and then had a romantic night uh, seeing this fun romantic comedy, which I think most people have long since forgotten. And at the end of that night, I remember going, wow, I actually had a fun New Year's. New Year's Eve, which I, which had eluded me for most of my pre-25 year old life. stationary New Year's Eve submissions. Uh, yeah. That one we just heard was Tony Wolf. Before that was Ryan Reich. And then up on top, we heard Amber Dre. And it seems like all of them were very in the ethos of trying to keep it more chill, more like relaxed and not so raging. Raging Cajun. Well, I mean, that's the thing. You go and you, you see movies or you watch uh, the MTV. New Year's is a pressure holiday. Because if you're not doing something, you will, like, I feel like it's the same way like Halloween. You almost feel like you want to be doing something just because the holiday is on. Right. But if the holiday wasn't there, you wouldn't care. And you don't really care, but because other people care, you sort of feel like societal pressure to be, to be like, entertaining yourself. Or at least to be doing something sort of memorable. Well, Ryan was saying that his parents were away um, for work purposes. So him and his sister ended up with their grandparents. And they watched Murder, She Wrote and Star Trek The Next Generation, which, as we covered when he was on the show, that was no stranger to his library. Because that more like Jean-Luc Picard. Tony <laughs> was talking about pretending to smoke cigarettes instead burning the edges of pretzels. I definitely remember imitating smoking cigarettes with, with pretzels. But didn't they And have... lighting them. I do remember doing the exact same thing before. It's crazy. You, they made candy cigarettes, though. I remember imitating cigarettes with candy cigarettes the same way. Okay. And they even had... Because <laughs> it's terrible, like the uh, oral asphyxia- asphyxiation. Candy cigarettes were delicious, though, dude. I used to love those things. And they even had the little, lights at the end little, to make red, it look... little red tip, yeah. Exactly. It did look like a cigarette. Like it didn't have uh, a filter on it, though. They're, they're... Uh, unfiltered, because exactly. you, you, were, you were a tough little kid. Morally disgusting and irreprehensible concepts I mean, <laughs> for children, but the fact that, still tasty. Yeah, the fact that they were... I don't see them anymore, but the fact that they were still around when we were kids... Yeah. Just goes to show you. I, you know, you're a little younger than I am. No, no lie. I think it's more telling that you remember them as fair well. Enough, fair enough. I do feel as though I was the end of that last generation. Like uh-huh. I got to see a lot of the weird stuff that now they shelter kids from. And I mean, I do also. I was in that transitionary period where I also got to see all the new stuff that was happening. We had dial-up on my computer and stuff when I was like seven Did you or eight. Now, yes. yes, I feel like when I had a computer when I was eight years old, like other one, other of my friends didn't. I had like uh, we had an Atari twenty six hundred. Things were li- things were lively. Playing video games at New Year's Eve would not 
be the right thing to do. I, I can only think of when you're at a house, you're listening to music, maybe you're playing some video games during the earlier part, but once the ladies show up, it's like, nope. <laughs> once the ladies get here, you got to do what the ladies want to do because... Yeah, you don't want to ignore people who are in your house and you might find attractive. Well, I'll know. say it like this. You are exactly right that in our generation, when the women arrived, you stopped playing video games. Yeah. But I, I maintain and I believe that in our children's generation... Yes. The girls are going to be the ones playing the video games. No and question. Everyone's going to oh, play video no, games No, no, together. no, there's no question. Um, that was not the way it was. Today. Our generation hasn't really taken control of the world yet. You know, It's going to uh-huh. take another 20 years for our generation to be in control, right? And once they are, I do see that a lot more things like, you know, a lot more progressive policies will get into place and things like that, mm-hmm. quality. But I see it so much more when I see young kids that they are really gender blind and really color blind when it comes to this stuff. And they're just thinking about what they want to do. They just want to do what they want to do. And I see them, you know, play the video games and this and that. And it's really, it's astounding seeing them with these things. Have you seen kids with like a video game in their hand? that are like six years old right now. I I don't deny it. If you can have a a kid with a phone or a tablet, there's no question. It reminds me of in Star Wars when they had those little Jedi kids and they're like, yeah, you know, must train from six years old. The kid's like, yeah, he's got this, he's got the lightsaber, and he's doing all the, you know, calculations. And, yep, and, I get it. I'm telling you, I I wish uh, that I had a Game Boy when I was a kid, so I could be a Jedi. <laughs> dude, how are your video game skills, dude? Like, if we just if I just hooked it up and I said, really poor. you choose the game, any game you want, me versus you, would you be able to beat me in any game? You know, I don't know, cause I really like only certain types of video games, and when I was at uh, my brother-in-laws for christmas i was playing with my nephew madden 2017 and he beat me he played was the like, giant it was like a sloppy sloppy defeat <laughs> it was pretty sloppy it was like 63 to 6 him Oof. well he scored at least did he yeah, let, did he let I, you, I scored did, once did he let you score or you scored i don't know he did a lot of uh side punts okay so he he, he was just he was just trying to do a lot of onside punts and stuff at one time it back, back yeah. backfired all right exactly <laughs> but i uh, know i was the 49ers and he was the giants so if you can envision the giants defeating the 49ers 63 to 6 <laughs> but but that said i had no idea just how complicated football video games were i've played baseball games i've played basketball games i've played skiing snowboarding a lot of all of these you know or skateboarding and everything a lot more strategy definitely totally totally blew my mind about how many different plays you could do and i feel like i just randomly selected plays that i had no real clue as to what they were going to do i could i can agree that i don't know football well enough to know like you know if i should use a quarter or a dime defense like i don't i don't know you know and i the same way for me when I would play football games, you know, I was rushing. I was rushing people like every. I would just rush, you know, blitz the cute, blitz, blitz the passer constantly, mm-hmm. and um, you know, then you'd be really susceptible to passing. But the deal was, if I would just have a really, I would just choose a team that was really good at doing that, because that's all I knew. That's all I knew is like if I could just hammer them with defense, I'll be able to win. And that was my strategy. But I don't know football well enough. This is just one strategy that I figured out that was a strategy you could use. Yeah. You're exactly right that other sports, and really when I think when it comes to sports games, that's when you understand the nuance.
one of my first memories of New Year's Eve. And for me, that would be going over to Pratt Institute. Way back when, they used to have all of these antique steam whistles, like from boats and from trains. And for a very long time, every New Year's Eve, they would pull all of these steam whistles out and they would invite people to bring their Christmas trees to burn in a bonfire. And at midnight, they would pull all of the steamed whistles. And even though it would be like negative five degrees outside, these steam whistles would create these huge puffs of hot air that would just engulf everyone there at the campus. Um, And I just remember being, I gosh, I don't know, like maybe like nine or something and being, you know, going over there and waiting for the whistles to blow. And while I'm waiting, taking like these huge icicles and playing like sword fights with them. And then by the time I took my sword icicle over to uh, the whistles, it would melt in my hand because it was so warm Um, and just being totally mesmerized and amazed by all of this steam and it was so loud you could hear it you know across the neighborhood throughout the neighborhood and it was so so much fun and um unfortunately Pratt Institute stopped doing that so only a select few of us in my neighborhood actually have these memories which makes them extra special I suppose most memorable New Year's. My first job was working as a party DJ. Mostly we did weddings, but this one year, I think it was one of my first jobs as a DJ. I was in Salem, Massachusetts doing a uh, an office party, New Year's party, which I thought was interesting because a lot of offices through Christmas parties, but instead this office through New Year's party. What was interesting about it was that I was in high school, and it was the first time I'd ever seen really drunk adults. You know, most of my family uh, just stayed regular um, on events, uh, but these were, these were drunk and also very horny adults. Um, intermingling with each other and doing all the things that I guess you're supposed to do at an office holiday party. Um, and I remember they, they overstayed their welcome at one point. One of their bosses threw up um, on the, one of the sides of the ballroom near the window and almost fell out. And um, I left that party feeling um, like I was ready to be an adult already and get it over with.
my most memorable New Year's has got to be, I think it was junior year of high school. It might have been sophomore year, but I think it was junior year. And I think it was, like, one of the first times I got really high. Like, I had smoked before here and there. But it was, like, the first time I, like, smoked weed. And I was casually dating this guy, Rich Stewart, and he sold weed. And him and his brother came over. And no one was home at my house. My mom was out. My sister was out. I think it was, like, a Friday night. And he rolled a blunt to my house. And then we smoked in my backyard. And I got so stoned. And I remember just thinking, like, I'm so cool. And Rich Stewart thinks I'm hot. I can't believe I'm saying this out loud. And I dumped Rich Stewart because he had stub hands. <laughs> they were, like, short and chubby. I think that was my most memorable New Year's. The thing is, I can't remember what I did afterwards. Probably, like, went to some party. I think the next memorable New Year's after that was when my sister got wasted. And I had to call my parents and go pick her up at a party. That was bad. She drank an entire bottle of schnapps, I think. Like peach schnapps. <laughs> and she was vomiting in the toilet. Her friends called me and I had to go get her. I brought her home and I was afraid she would fall asleep and choke on her own vomit. So I called my parents. And they were so angry because she was, she was like the prodigy child and I was the bad one. And that was in college. That was when I was in college. That was either like my freshman or sophomore year. You're tuning into this show right now. We are Lost and Rewound here on Radio Free Brooklyn, Thursdays at 3 p.m., talking this week about our favorite New Year's Eve memories. I don't think I've ever drank schnapps at all. I don't have any idea what it tastes like. Uh, you could live a whole life without schnapps, and uh, you'd be fine. I've had it, and I got the peppermint schnapps, which is a classic schnapps, I suppose. that. So one, they make a lot have. of different flavors of schnapps, Blueberry right? schnapps, peppermint schnapps. It's, it's Why do people drink it? The deal is, if you want to drink liquor that tastes like, what's the way to describe it? Like cold medicine and liquor at the same time? Or also like, um, it's hard, again, it's hard to describe. It's like, when I had schnapps, it tasted like as if someone tried to make a like a, like a Christmassy beverage that was boozy but really failed. Okay, so it's um, like if you're not going to do eggnog, you go for the next all, more, more it's peppermint. Thing. So yeah. it's peppermint. So you're drinking, it tastes like peppermint booze, and you're like, peppermint is like to me, like a very, is a holiday kind of taste. I don't know why. Maybe I'm wrong, but uh, I don't know. It's it's rough. I don't know. I'm not a schnapps guy. Yeah. Um, I think it's, <laughs> there's something charming about like a, an old an old homeless guy that smells pepperminty. When he's all hammered, um, but <laughs> but that's 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 the extent of it. I don't, um, you know, you know what? The only thing I remember with peppermint schnapps that always used to make me laugh. If have you seen the film Little Nicky, maybe once on the television. For some reason, I, I really liked that film in my in my like teenage years, and 
one of the characters in that film, if you don't know, the, the concept of the movie is that the devil uh, is getting deposed by one of his sons. And uh, one of his sons is like, doesn't want to be the devil. And he's Adam Sandler. <laughs> even, even describing it is ridiculous. And he's just like an idiot. And then there's, th- there's three of sons. And one of the sons loves to drink peppermint schnapps. So really, I think it's two of the sons that are masterminding this. But both want to be the devil. Only with their power combined can they take down the father. And then they'll, they'll duke it out later once the father is like imprisoned sort of deal. And the third brother they don't think is a threat is the idea. Right. But he's like, there's this part where he's like, oh, you know, I love it. I just get to walk down the road drinking my peppermint schnapps. And I remember thinking, and he was like, because one was British and then one was like a really tough, like, uh, like dude from the hood were the sons. Right. Which is like a very, I don't know. And then the third one's Adam Sandler. But I just remember it being like, it was supposed to be this snobbish British thing that he was drinking it. I understand. So it's, it's a, it's a. Uh, it's a status status symbol of some sort. Well, just saying it is I've fun. It's fun. Been shops. I remember there it's was a, has a bit of a ring to it. The blueberry schnapps. There was some. There's some TV show that references the fact that saying schnapps in and of itself is fun, and when you're drinking schnapps, it becomes more fun. Yeah, because you're just like schnapps. Pass me the schnapps. Schnapps, please. That story that we heard with the schnapps was from Allison Goodman, and before that with a story about watching adults be total jackasses was Sam Z. And then up on top, your good friend, Kesley Hyten, who had a really nice memory there, very different from a lot of the submissions we received for this episode, going to Pratt Institute and seeing these steam whistles. Something really, truly Brooklyn that you wouldn't get anywhere else. Yeah, that I never, I never knew about that. It sounded pretty amazing, honestly, but it's not surprising. There are these moments of magic that you have happen in life, you know, that mm-hmm. that you can't get back to because they're fleeting. Um, I can't, like, off the top of my head think of any right now, but I know, like, just hearing that story made me think back to those moments in my own life where I thought, gosh, like, I'm so lucky to be able to experience this and that this is going to be, knowing that it's something that's momentary and that you're just, like, kind of glad that you can, you can see that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I can only think of that as something very similar to Christmas in Woodstock when everyone's gathering around and waiting for Santa. But that happens still every year. This is, I mean, this is, I guess it's a slightly It seems like a very note. holiday thing, though, you know? It's, but it's the, still not a holiday thing. My, my, my uncle used to um, dress as Santa yes. every year when I was growing up. We, I talked to you last week, right? My dad used to dress up as Santa, dressed up, used to dress up. My dad dressed up as Santa one year, too, when I was actually younger than five. I think I was more like three or four. Yeah, I want to say that he dressed up until I was about... Seven or eight. I think yeah. the last year that he dressed up was the first year that I knew it was him. I was like, whoa, that's my uncle. And then my dad was like, don't ruin it for the other kids. And I was like, that's cool. And I just pretended. No, it was the year after that. Because okay. the year after that, the, <laughs> the last year, this is, of course, where I told the story. The last year he did it. So we would go to his place. And my uncle lived in Jersey City. And um, I mean, it was the hood back then. Jersey City was the hood. Like, I, we would come from Brooklyn yeah. and we would go to Jersey City and we would be like freaked out. Trade one hood for the other. Yeah. So, but he would. So, what he would do is, since it was the hood and there was no chimney, you know, Santa would come down the fire escape. Sure. Right. And he would he would knock on the window and then he'd come in the window. So, <laughs> we had him coming out, and um, I also liked that he was um, that he was Puerto Rican because man, it was he was OG Santa. Yeah. <laughs> so there was one time that he was coming down the fire escape. I don't remember exactly what the chain of events was, but the police all came. 
uh, because they thought that someone was breaking in the house in a Santa outfit, of course, you know. Because that, I mean, if you're going to rob somebody's house on Christmas, you dress as Santa. I suppose that's the best costume on Christmas. You this know? is true. But that's also a jerk move. But the cops came and they tried to arrest my uncle and we had to, like, explain to them that he was my, <laughs> he was our Santa, you know, it was just some random Santa. But that was, uh, that was classic. <laughs> We also heard in that set Sam Z's recollection of drunk adults for the first time, which, God, if that isn't such a visual that I think we could all relate to that when we're all kids and we see our parents getting wasted for the first time or seeing any of our relatives getting wasted for the first time. I would agree because I definitely saw drunk adults. I was at drunk adult parties um, as young as like five that I remember that I remember. Yeah. But my parents both uh, weren't drinkers. Yeah. My father doesn't drink, and my mother would have an occasional glass of wine. Yeah. My parents aren't really strong drinkers either. I think the nature of their partying was limited to maybe, like, a martini or uh, a glass of wine. And they know very still to this day when to keep it under wraps. But can't say the same for people who were at the same parties. I actually have a recollection of being at a young age, uh, being at a party, this woman that my mom used to work with in town and i i remember it was the first time i ever stayed up until past midnight i don't even think it was a new year's eve party per se it could have been but i was up well until like 2 two thirty in the morning and who knows the kind of crap that people were doing at that party probably just smoking a ton of weed because it's woodstock i do think that you identified something seeing all the drunk adults did not phase me you know it was just like whatever i didn't mind um, yeah but the very very first time that i ever saw a drunk family member because I didn't have any, like, alcoholics in the family or anything like that. So it, it was, um, I remember still, it was um, my aunt, and they were having some dinner. And she just got a little bit tipsy. Like, not drunk at all. Like, totally normal. But enough that you could, she was visibly, had had had, had, had been drinking, you know, that sort of thing. And I was old enough. I was, like, nine years old. So I was old enough to, like, be able to identify that. And I remember that I'd never seen any people in my family drunk before. And then she came to speak to me to, like, say hello. Mm-hmm. And, like, just because they were visiting New York from out of town. And I remember that I really was really weirded out by it. And it freaked me the hell out. And I went and told my mother right away because I didn't know what was going on. Like, I knew that something was, was wrong with her. Okay. And then she'd explained it to me. And then, and I, but it really had freaked me out. And then she had to come back. My aunt came back to like apologize afterwards because I was like really worried about her because I didn't know, I didn't understand the relationship between alcohol and what, what it really does to you. Was there any other incident that occurred later on that preceded that? Since then, I never have seen another family member ever intoxicated ever. Interesting. That was the only moment that I ever had that happen. I've never been intoxicated around my family. Allison was talking about saving her sister from that party. Have you ever come to the rescue of a friend who was wasted? Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. I feel as though I had been that guy at a young age. Yeah. Um, I definitely did my experimentation with drinking uh, mostly in my teenage years. and had those bad times where people had to look out for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I kind of got through it. I don't think I did it after I was... Like, the last time I'd ever really done it where I, I needed, needed someone to watch out for me, I was, like, 20. Yeah. So after that, a lot of people overindulge. And I'd seen it up until the last time I had to help somebody that had overindulged was, like, a year ago or something. So it's pretty – happened pretty commonly. So for this point, yeah, years and years. I always make sure because I can identify, and I know that I'm always in control. I don't have any sort of problem now drinking. 
Once I, once I get to my point, I go, okay, that's, that's good. The only problem I'll ever have is when you have an abundance of friends come by. Yeah. And they all want to buy you liquor. And then you want to be polite because I want to be nice to my friends. And so, you, I mean, sometimes I've, I've been able to politely turn people down before the shot is on the counter. But once it's sitting there, sure. you have to take it. This whole talk set has been a lot, uh, talking a lot about indulgence of the vice variety, you know, with drinking and whatnot. But there is another vice that occurs on on auspicious occasions such as New Year's Eve, and that is hooking up. So let's listen to a few of those right now. about my most memorable New Year's Eve ever. Uh, I think it might have been around uh, 1999 or 1998. I was never one who was like good with the ladies, but I just had a night where I went out and I had a girl that I was kind of hooking up with and I hooked up with her. And then like I went upstairs and there was some girl like in the bathroom and I went in the bathroom and then we just went in the shower and we started making out. And then... I left and I went to another party and then I hooked up with a third girl. I hooked up with three girls in one night. That like I I haven't done that in in the, the twenty years since then. Um and that's it. Was was that year filled with like hooking up with girls? Not really. I still like I still don't hook up with girls now, but I need to remember that night and be like you could do it. I should get that tattoo of like a triangle with three girls so I could always know that I could accomplish anything. I went out drinking on New Year's with a girlfriend, a few good friends of mine. We ended up back at a good friend of mine's because he was getting along really well with this girl that he met that night at the bar, Franklin Park. I'm not going to name any other names, but that's the bar we were at. And he's going along okay, and it's a bunch of my friends and my girlfriend were on the living room, and they go off into the bedroom, and they start having sex, and the woman is obnoxiously loud and i every time i overhear people having sex whenever i hear the woman i'm like well that sounds really pleasant that sounds really nice but this is one of the rare times it's a little too much and hearing the woman that's always good and nice but every time i hear the guy it's a little weird for me uh i don't like how men sound during sex i guess that just affirms that i'm a heterosexual hot-blooded male but i don't like hearing it and in particular my friend, it's not that I didn't like hearing my friend having sex, it's that he was absolutely hysterical. 
it was like he was trying to compensate for how loud she was. So he was being louder, but it was really forced and literal. I kept hearing him go, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, that's a funny thing to hear, one of your best friends being that literal in the bedroom. Yeah, oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, as far as I know, that was the only night those two ever spent together. And, uh, I guess that was a good way for my good friend to start off his year that year. Back in the year 2000, back in my college days, I was friends with a guy named Greg, and he had recently started dating a woman named Megan. Now, Megan had expressed early on that she uh, found me attractive. She really liked me, even though she was dating my friend. And I told her, hey, that's that's nice. I think you're attractive, too. But, you know, you do your thing. I'll do my thing. You know, it's cool. Well, a couple days before New Year's Eve, she cornered me, and we ended up kissing. Uh, It was pretty hot, but I felt guilty about it. Now, depending on who you asked, it was innocent or it was inappropriate. At the time, I thought it was inappropriate, so I felt all guilty. I'm like, oh my God, it's the worst thing ever. Well, a couple days later, it's New Year's Eve. We're all partying together, and her boyfriend was not a big drinker, so he was gone at one point, and it was a little later in the evening. I had uh, consumed a lot of alcohol. I was laying on the ground, face down, laying on this carpet, and uh, I couldn't stand up. At that point, my legs had stopped working, so I thought, all right, I guess I'll just sit here and, and maybe this will pass. Well, as I'm, I'm waiting to regain my ability to stand, this woman, my friend's girlfriend, climbs on my back, leans over, and whispers into my ear some things that I ain't never heard. It was the, think of the dirtiest stuff imaginable. She was probably saying something like that. The idea was, hey, let's go upstairs to your apartment and do this. Well, I don't know if it was that I was so drunk that I couldn't move or my morals were coming to the surface, but I turned her down as politely as possible. She said, okay, well, that's fine. I'll get you next time. Luckily, there was no next time. And I ended up remaining friends with my buddy Greg to this very day. The moral of the story here, kids, is Jack and Coke can be very dangerous. So be careful.
that whole set was really just about the nature of carnal desires, but even that last one did sneak in a little alcohol. The story that you heard just there was by Rob Burnham of the WNOD podcast, because I know he'll kill me if I don't shout him out there. Um, And then you had David Lawson in the middle, and then up on top, Jay Miller. And all of them had to do with hooking up. So, thoughts? It was funny because when you asked me to remember New Year's, this one New Year's stuck up in my mind. Mm. And I guess it was like the most <laughs> New Year's that I'd had. The most Nah. Yeah. <laughs> how do you spell that nah. is it like meh but with like a y somewhere in yes it? yes m-y-m-y-e-h yeah. yeah like and i don't i don't know why but this became so memorable and even at the time i was like it was just like the biggest letdown and it was because i just wanted something interesting to happen and i didn't know how that was going to happen and i had a friend of mine who i went to hang out with that I thought was cute, but we'd never, like, ever hooked up or anything like that. Okay. And we were just friends. And then she was like, yeah, my friends are having some party. And she knows, like, interesting people. So I was like, cool. Like, let's do that. We'll go to their party or whatever. I suppose I was thinking when midnight rolls around, she's female, I'm male. You know, we'll just do, like, a little New Year's kiss. You know, a little New Year's kiss. Because that's the classic. And the party was really lame. And I was just thinking, and, like, New Year's was coming, and I was like, Okay, maybe like this will make the night more momentous and it won't be anything, but it'll be just like a fun, like, oh, you know, New Year's kiss. And then I feel like I didn't go to go in for the kiss. I, we both just looked at each other, New, York, New Year's came, and just like kind of like went by. And we both were just kind of like sitting there awkwardly. And I it just, it, I didn't feel it at all. Yeah. She didn't feel it at all. There was nothing. I suppose it's just, you just can't just kiss. I mean, we should have just like, I think it was one of those things that I was looking for, like maybe the emotion to come behind it in the kiss yeah but well, it wasn't there because and it wasn't supposed to be there exactly and then it just so then the moment kind of passed and new year's sort of passed and then it was just sort of like why was i putting any weight into this whole thing and then i remember i went home and it was just a red average night i have a new year's eve recollection that comes right into that same territory i went to a club one time one time, I've never, I, I've, yeah, I've never been to a club. So yeah, this this was the one time I I, I ever did it, and it was uh, going into two thousand and eight, so New Year's Eve two thousand and seven, and a friend of mine from college was requesting on, I guess it was on Facebook. She was like, "Hey, we need a place to stay because we are going to a club on New Year's Eve, and we don't have a place to stay." And I reached out to her. I was like, "Um, I have a couch you could crash on." And you and your friend uh, could stay the night, and uh, it'll be no problem. And she was like, that's so nice of you. Thank you so much, Alon. Um, I will totally buy you your own ticket to this party at Duvet. Now, for those who don't know what Duvet is, it may not be around anymore. I could give a fuck. But <laughs> Duvet was... Is it the it, cover that goes over your mattress? <laughs> it, it, is, it is also that du, duvet was a meatpacking district club that uh was no different than any other meatpacking district club but it felt just as soulless as you would feel like any other club would be you know no no different on new year's especially but i obliged a 200 hundred dollar ticket being paid for for me to be going out on new year's eve um i can't say no i mean that's really nice but i've also never done the club thing before so i figured okay we're going to do this. This is going to happen. So I hosted these two ladies from who were living in Boston. So they uh, took a bus in from Boston, took the Chinatown bus, and they came out to Astoria, where I was living at the time. And we got to the club. The line was super long. 
I remember I took a photo of them with a police officer just because the line was so unruly and you know, these things happen. The drinks were so overpriced, as they should be. But I had never seen like $20 vodka sodas or something that I think is what I got. And, and I, you know, at that time I'm working, so I'm making some money. I'm not out of bank that much. So it's not a difficult task for me to be getting drinks for me and to ladies who are just looking to have the best possible time. And I don't know if they had the best possible time, but I know that I had the worst time (laughs) because it was soulless, as I mentioned before, in that there was nothing interesting other than being in a condensed area where I wasn't able to, much less allowed. I could could certainly dance if I wanted to, but they could barely dance with their high heels on. And I was just incapable of getting anything accomplished in the efforts of a good time because of just how many people there truly were uh we left in a cab around 2 a.m i remember at midnight i thought maybe i would get a kiss and i did get a kiss from the woman that i had been in touch with at midnight but it was there was nothing behind it it was just like we were just friends and i kind of got that that it was going to be that way but it was nothing more than that at all a lot of those stories though that we heard there it feels like there was some lack of expectation. Again, I think that uh, New Year's is the perfect holiday of, like, missed expectations. And you hope that that's not a precursor to what's going to happen that year. But usually they're not connected at all, I find. Yeah. Uh, the fact that you have such a, a memory like David did to recount even what happened to your friend, much less what you... I mean, I can never forget something like that if that happened to me. But that's just... That's a, that's a horror story. But I, I guess a good story for the friend, but not for him himself. <laughs> Right. Uh, and yeah, and then what we hear with Jay, that that has happened to me, um, although I need not divulge information about that because that's just sort of a little bit excessive and <laughs> definitely something that will never happen again in my lifetime for all the reasons listed. <laughs> we have only a few more clips to play, and they are related to Y2K. This is Joy, my favorite and first memorable New Year's Eve was, I'd have to say Y2K. It was an exciting time, and not only did we think it was possible the world was going to end, it was also one of my first mature um, boy-girl parties, so that was at my neighbor's. I was in seventh grade. My best friend's father did have a bomb shelter in his basement with a lot of stashes of water and things, and I thought, fuck, this this could really happen. So it didn't, from what I can remember. So, yeah, Y2K, um, 2000, seventh grade, that jazz. 
this is Claire Linick, and my most memorable New Year's, and probably the first one I really remember, because I went to bed before midnight every other one, was the Millennium in 2000. And my family, who's a big sci-fi family, was 100% sure <laughs> that there's going to be power outages for, like, ever, and that it was kind of going to be an end-of-the-world situation. So we were very prepared for it. But, you know, the world didn't end, and we partied, and I got to try just a little bit of wine. Four, three, two, one. I want to thank all of our submissions that we had for this rendition. Allison Goodman, Rob Burnham, Ryan Reich, Sam Zelich, Z? Z. Sam Zelich. Zelich. I believe. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Kesley Heighton. Kesley Heighton, Claire Linick, Jay Miller, David Lawson, Joy Dons, Tony Wolf, and of course, uh, we started off this whole entire thing with Amber Dre. Thank you to all of our submissions uh, and for all of our guests this year, and we look forward to more awesome guests in the next year some of you who i'm well sure will be returning so lost and rewound is here every thursday at 3 p.m on radio free brooklyn my name is alan and i'm jimmy happy new year guys happy new year to you all take care happy new year happy new year happy new year to you you know what everybody have a happy 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 new year happy new year Happy New Year's. Hope everyone has a happy New Year's Eve and wishing good things to come in 2017. Uh, one time on uh, December 31st, I was smoking uh, Marble Reds with my father. And one of the best things that he ever said to me was, Axel, don't get married too young and don't be too prostitutes. So that's for me, sold it. And, you know, to this day, I don't pay for sex.